Hi, my name is Becky Sanders, and I am your host for today's episode of A Virtual View, which is a podcast by the Upper Midwest Telehealth Resource Center, where we talk about telehealth, healthcare, and everything in between. Today, I'm so pleased to have with us former Senator Jim Merritt, and we'll be speaking with him today about mental health awareness. Jim, you were the opioid czar uh, of your time when you were in the Senate here in Indiana. Do you want to start by talking about that? Yeah, it, it all started with the law that we have on the books now that someone could call 911 if somebody's in a social emergency, they have been overserved. And I called it the lifeline law. And one of my friends, I was out walking my dog one day, and one of my friends came out of her house. And she was really unhappy. Her, her son had passed away from a drug overdose. And she was very unhappy with me that I had not focused in on addiction issues and opioids, that I really had kind of focused in on alcohol. And that's really all where it kind of started. And I dug in, and, and this is back in 2016 that we had talked And in 2017, we were able to write 24 pieces of legislation, of which 17 became law. And we, I believe that we really naturalized, we we personalized opioid addiction. And we were kind of ahead of the country on this issue. And and Indiana is far better off because of the legislation that that I and others wrote in the last three or four years of my career in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I've experienced that myself as well, having a four-state region and also traveling and being able to speak on a, a regional basis and a national basis. I've seen programs in Indiana that were really the impetus for many other programs throughout the nation. Mm-hmm. When this is kind of ex- extending it on is mental health. Our friends of the Mental Health Association, Steve McCaffrey and, and Kelby Gaw and, and Melissa, his wife, and Melissa McCaffrey, they do a really good job. And, and their hashtag is hashtag mental health is health. And, and what we're trying to do is naturalize it. And, and what I mean by that is that um, you may have a broken arm, but you also may have depression. And the Ursays have done such a great job of working in in the space of kicking the stigma. And I think we all, counseling is something that, uh, that I uh, feel very strongly about, and everybody needs it. And I, I hope my career is extended in the private sector that can help people understand that it's okay to go talk to somebody. Absolutely. And so May was a Mental Health Awareness Month, correct? Yes. So the Ursies, as you mentioned, did have a huge fundraiser last month. Mm-hmm. They did, and, and Mr. Ursay, Jim, has done just such an outstanding job, and, and he has family. His daughters are a part of the Indianapolis Colts organization, and I really admire, uh, just to back up for a moment, when the Colts hit town in 1984, one of the first things they did was become a partner with Noble Centers which is right next door to Harbor Light. And I just did my own podcast, Jim Merritt's Indiana podcast on Harbor Light. And those two organizations on the west side of Indianapolis do so much for those that may be shunned and may be stigmatized. And the Ursays have have done such a great job in their town, and they are now putting their money where their mouth is to raise $4.25 million and for Jim Ursay to really establish that he is serious about this issue and and uh, have players talking about depression and telling the NFL, we need to be a player in this spot. 
and I'm trying to do in my own little way of, of supporting the issue of mental health and it's so important. It's so imperative that we focus in on that, on this issue because of COVID and people being locked down, people being shut in. Uh, they're coming out of their homes now. You, you can see Indiana, now the Marion County has come along. All of Indiana is, is open. And it's so important that people understand that they can talk to somebody about about their woes and about what's going on in their lives. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's an awesome website called fairhealth.org that talks about telehealth claim lines. Mm-hmm. They have all of the Medicare data and then a lot of the private payer, you know, we think of Anthem here in Indiana, United, and all of the other mm-hmm. insurance providers. But as I've been reviewing the past year, I've noticed that When you compare the 2020 telehealth claim lines back to 2019, mental health claim lines have jumped, Mm -hmm. and they're around 50% every single month Mm -hmm. during COVID. So we've seen so much more of this. And I I do agree, you were talking about a person with a broken arm, the underlying illness is the depression that probably didn't cause the broken arm, but it certainly aggravates that situation for that individual. And I was just reading this morning some of the, the death tolls and claims from the year of 2020, where they're seeing, as they look back, many more deaths in in diabetes and chronic care management patients, patients with COPD or CHF, that underlying factor of depression that hasn't been addressed is really huge. Yeah, and it plays an enormous part. It's it's great to talk about e-health, telehealth, and you and I have discussed this before on my podcast regarding the Rural Health Association, which is such a great organization. But to have telehealth, to have e-health, you really have to have access to broadband. And you've heard me say this before, I'd, I'd much rather, if I was in a rural place, I live in Indianapolis, Carmel, if I was in a rural place, I'd much rather have access to the internet than a paved road. And you can't have telehealth unless you have access. And legislature has done a really good job, albeit it's difficult to announce $100 million for broadband when it takes a year and a half to establish it. So we're, we're not there yet. And yet, I think the legislature and the governor have done a good job of putting programs together so those that don't have access soon will have access. And we don't want Indiana to be a backwater state. And being a backwater state is not having access to broadband throughout the state. Mm-hmm. So in the state of Indiana, our lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, runs OCRA, the Office for Community and Rural Affairs. And underneath of that, there is an organization that is specifically looking at broadband and has done a great job over the last several years as a proponent for broadband and bringing more funding into the state to construct broadband. You know, I was on the initial task force when Becky Skillman, as lieutenant governor, started talking about and, and continued with Sue Elsperman. And and uh, Suzanne Crouch, and I'm sure when Eric Holcomb, would, for that brief moment, when he was lieutenant governor, the OCRA has done a great job of keeping the shiny object right in the middle of, of the public discussion. And I see, I see this task force, this entity, this commission as being pivotal. And, and you need a, an organization like that inside OCRA to keep us going the same dire- right direction and all together leading the charge because you can put a billion dollars into a fund but if you don't have a program to distribute it to all 92 counties we're going to flub up we're oh, going yeah. to we're going to fail mm-hmm. that is so true 
Let's go back a little bit to COVID and talk about, um, since you stepped away from the legislature in the fall of 2020, and we're not really involved in this spring 21 legislature, what are your reflections on COVID and, and what the legislature did during COVID? Well, I think it was a really difficult situation for the governor and for the legislature. I had the opportunity to go down and, and um, be in the Senate for a day and to notice that members of the Indiana Senate were up in the gallery rather than at their desks. That in itself was difficult because the Senate as a 50-person body is a living body and they live off communication between Democrat and Republican and senator to senator. And in all 30 years, we've had such great discussions with each other. And Senator Lannon, the former leader of the Democrat caucus in the Senate and still a, a valuable member of the Indiana Senate, had talked about the Senate being a family. And when when the minority leader talks about that, everybody listens. And, and Senator Jean Bro is an outstanding member of the Indiana Senate. And, and she had talked about how things had changed a little bit. And it was probably the politics of the day because it's such such a hypersensitive place that is the, the political realm of the state house and throughout the country. And I, I think there was a stumble early on with the budget that came out of the House of Representatives where mental health monies weren't what I expected and there was $26 million that weren't funded into that budget. I, I think they had a very difficult time understanding what the federal government was going to come in. And the last week they came in and all of a sudden we were spending $400 million on a rebuilding the Westville prison. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit uh, later on in the podcast. But uh, $400 million and then also $2 billion that came into the budget, of which a lot of the money went towards um, education. And so I'm sure it was a probably a dust fight. There was so much confusion. There's a lot of things going on, and, and you just couldn't have that face-to-face -face conversation. And so I think they had a very difficult time this legislative session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my associate and I have talked a lot about what happened this session, and I know it was very frustrating for her as a lobbyist not being able to go down and have conversation with people. She basically had to watch everything and listen to it over this live streaming, which I do also want to give props. There was a specific individual that stepped up that really made all of that live streaming possible, even with the difficulty of the different seating arrangements. What was the name of that guy? Do you Zach. Remember? Zach? Zach Mayer. Zach okay. is an all-star. And yeah. I, I was so happy to see that somebody had tweeted or put on Facebook that they honored Zach. And that was an incredible task for Zach. And he was up to it. He This is not the first time that he has excelled. And those staffers, those people that are in the grassroots of an organization really make the trains run on time. And Zach did an outstanding job yeah. this session. Yeah, kudos to him. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked about mental health and some of the things that you've been involved with. Let's talk more about the prison. It's, it's my understanding that the Westville prison for Department of Corrections needs revamping, almost rebuilding. And it's my understanding that some of the inmates who are suffering from mental illness in that corrections facility have been transferred to the Stark County Jail. And they're in, under the auspices of the sheriff of, of Stark County. And to me, when you budget $400 million to rebuild a, 
a prison or build a new correctional facility, I think it's such an opportunity for change. And what I would like to see the legislature and Department of Corrections and the governor to concentrate on is making that a center of mental health. And uh, 37% of the incarcerants who are released from Department of Corrections reoffend, and they're back inside. And we have got to stop that. Number one, your communities are safer, and two, people are better off, and the communities are well-rounded. And I, I truly believe that the focus needs to be on transitional housing, teaching people how to re-enter society after some time, or they're going to end up back inside. And, and as well as the 92 sheriffs, I think each sheriff, God bless them, all have their different approach to these issues of transitional housing, if they have that, or uh, mental illness or addiction. And it would be great to have... Um, to use the vernacular, a game plan. Mm-hmm. And now that we have monies, let's take care of it. And this goes back to people talking about homelessness and hunger and poverty in Indianapolis and in rural Indiana as well. There, these individuals, these Hoosiers are in these situations because of some event in their life or some upbringing or something going on in their life where something broke. And we have got to redouble our efforts to reach out to these individuals. It doesn't do any good that when the NCAA comes to town, we sweep everybody off the streets for the moment. And it doesn't do any good, um, God bless them, for IMPD to be in charge of homelessness. Let's, for instance, we have a new justice center in town that's open. It's going to be open. We have an assessment center. You can go through that assessment center. And people know what is ailing you, but then you walk out the door and we don't have the wraparound services. So it would be my idea to anybody that is leaving some sort of incarceration, have a coach, have a caseworker, have a manager, somebody that that will coach you into the next session of your life. I, I see I see that as a great expenditure of, of monies because you're helping somebody, number one, but you're also avoiding a, a problem in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's similar to some of the peer coaching and other things that have happened in the opioid, the OUD, opioid use disorder, or SUD, substance use disorder, treatment programs, something like that would be great to help reduce recidivism. It goes back to counseling. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody needs an assist. My friend Greg Keesling over at Recycle Force, they, they hire ex-incarcerants who probably have an ankle bracelet or some sort of probation fees. And, and whatever they earn at uh, Recycle Force, they probably pay off their fees. Now, more than likely, that person may reoffend. They may go out and, and turn to a life of crime because they, they're feeding their family or they don't have the, the money to pay the rent. And, and we just need, now that we're in this space, that we, can, that we can help people because of this newfound money from the federal government. Let's put it to work where we're helping people, but we're also helping ourselves. Oh, absolutely. So since you've stepped away from the legislator, you've... Mm-hmm legislature, you've got more time. So what other things are you dabbling in? Well, I'm dabbling. um, As you know, I've got my own podcast, Jim Merritt's Indiana. I own JWM Consulting. I'm thinking about running for governor in 2024, but I'm also enjoying life and and, uh, feeling um, 
really good about helping helping my community. That's great. Now, you were telling me before we got started about your travels around the state of Indiana with yes. some mental health facilities. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you tell us more about that? Well, I've, I visited Swanson Center, which is up in Michigan City, and it's a comprehensive community mental health center, of which we have very few. And they have 100 employees, and, and they also have served 3,000 people in the last year. I talked to the folks at Sea Purpose, which is down in Bloomfield, not Bloomington, but Bloomfield, Indiana, another comprehensive mental health. And we, we've spoken about Harbor Light. I'm moving around the state to find little stories. I, I had a podcast uh, just recently from a gentleman by the name of Bawana Clements, and he has created a booklet called Empower. And everybody ought to have one of these booklets in their car, and every law enforcement officer ought to have this in their car and it ought to be a part of the training because it's it's all about the traffic stop. I was never taught, other than put your hands on 10 and 2 on the steering wheel, I was never taught, and I don't think anybody else has, of how you react in a traffic stop. It is the most difficult, it's the most dangerous thing that a law enforcement officer can have. And this booklet is fully vetted legally and it, it talks about what the police officer expects and what you should expect. Those are the little stories that we're talking about. And and, I, and I'll be talking about ankle bracelets for ex-incarcerants. And I like these little stories when I just want to go, hmm. Yeah, you hear so many stories in the news these days of altercations between police officers and individuals that they're pulling over for a traffic stop. Um, that sounds like a great book. I'm going to get myself a copy yeah, of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a copy. You, and just the other day, I was in, up in Ball State. And you may remember that it, a couple of years ago, Ball State University took on the responsibility of Muncie School Corporation. And they appointed, we allowed, the legislature allowed, and the governor signed. There was a school board that was appointed. Leanne Kwiatkowski from the governor's office became the superintendent. And their enrollment was down, their financial picture was in terrible shape, and their academic performance was in just incredible disrepair, if you will. The reports were incredible, Ds and Fs. Now, after two years, their enrollment is growing. Ball State is such a great partner for Muncie Schools. They have gotten their financial picture turned around, and their academic performance is rising. And it's wonderful to talk about these little parts that more than likely the media uh, that is is really for the shiny object of something negative uh, has missed. And really enjoyed talking with all the officials, including President Jeffrey Mearns up at, at Ball State. Those are the issues I like talking about. They're positive and they're fun because these people are so excited about taking the great things of Ball State and relaying in them and using those tools at Muncie School Corporation. Yeah, that's awesome news. I do remember hearing that Ball State had took over the school system there, but I hadn't heard Well, it's been a two-year success. Right. And they had nothing but blue sky in front of them. That's great. That's great to hear. You know, what that makes me think about is the logo, or not not the logo, but kind of the tagline for the state of Indiana is a place that works. Mm -hmm. And there have been some tremendous workforce program initiatives put into place recently. Because, you know, especially in the medical field, we often hear the term brain drain, Mm -hmm. that these individuals go to school, go to college and get their medical degrees outside of the state. And then if they do come back, they practice in urban areas and not rural areas. Mm -hmm. 
So anytime that we hear about workforce issues, it makes me think of the Indiana University Medical School's program at the Terre Haute campus Mm -hmm. at Indiana State University. And I believe there's another university that has a remote campus. It's in the northern part of the state, I believe. But those things are so important to help keep these kids, these bright, shining stars in the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you, you can't pick up the newspaper without seeing something different some growth, something positive happening with the Indiana economy. I was just driving along the other day and heard a heard a clip on the radio about a, a new automotive facility that Ivy Tech is opening on the west side of Indianapolis, where they're teaching kids how to be mechanics and, and all sorts of different careers in the automotive industry. And I, I was highly supportive of Ivy Tech and, and, and Sue Altsperman, and it just makes me feel good that they're doing a lot of great things with Ivy Tech, which is, you know, a statewide rural and urban organization. And, you know, and all kids learn differently. Mm-hmm. They sure do. They sure do. Now, if I remember right, digging into your personal life just a tiny little bit, you are newly married. I am. I, we're celebrating our, our year anniversary on June 20th. And uh, I, I live in Carmel, Indiana now. And and this young lady, I... Uh, dated uh, she was a luger quail staffer in 1982 and i was a congressional staffer and we dated then and and just recently we we were uh, reintroduced and now we're married so it's a it's a it's a nice story and and i'm a new grandfather my daughter just had her second baby and Merritt baker now has a a sister by name of madison my son-in-law my daughter went to hanover college and so they named their baby Madison after Madison, Indiana. So we have a lot of great things to celebrate in the Merritt family now. That is awesome. A lot of great roots putting down in yeah. the state of Indiana. Yeah, it's uh, life is good. Yeah. Is there anything you, else you'd like to share with our listeners, thinking back to your time in the Well, in well, the well I, I think it's important that when we're talking about rural health, I think it's important that we understand what happened in the last year and I had constituents that would be at one hospital and they had COVID and almost in a comatose state. And, and the family took them out of that hospital, took them to another hospital that gave them better care. And I think we need better protocols, better standards. And I think it would be wise for the state of Indiana and the citizens and the people that make decisions to anticipate a, a possible situation coming up in the fall with maybe a, um, a rebirth of COVID, maybe a COVID-21. What are we going to do in the future to understand and learn what is actually going to happen? And uh, do mask work? Are vaccinations necessary or is it herd immunity? I think we need to understand what has happened in the last year and uh, should a pandemic come again, what are we going to do to make sure that people are not shut in, people that are cared to, the economy isn't shut down? Because I can tell you that my wife is from Salem, Indiana. It is so much different in Salem than in Indianapolis. And, and I, I also think that allowing local county organizations such as the health department to have stricter laws than the state of Indiana is not the right uh, approach. And so I think it's a a mixture of anticipating what is actually going to happen and how we're going to uh, make life continue. Because, you know, starting 
we we adjourned March 11th last year in in 2020, and soon thereafter the streets were vacant and life it really stopped. We can't have that happen again. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many lessons to be learned from the past 15, 16 months. Mm-hmm. You touched on one thing, and so I'm a parent. I have a 15 year old and I have a 10 year old, and we had a really lively discussion the other night talking about home rule here in the state of Indiana. And so what you mentioned that did happen during COVID, that the county was allowed to do stricter rules for COVID-19 and for the pandemic and the public health emergency, really, if you follow the home rule that we have here in Indiana, never should have happened. It, it shouldn't have happened. And it's interesting, when, when Mitch Daniels was governor, uh, we had an enormous flood in South Central Indiana. It wrecked a hospital in Columbus, Indiana. But the Mitch Daniels administration handled it in such credible, um, uh, not ease, but they made it look easy. And right out of the governor's office, right out of the Daniels administration, when, when we had the opioid crisis in Scott County, probably in lots of different areas other than Scott County in Austin, Indiana. The Pence administration worked diligently to send and to understand, and we took that and we went statewide with it. And, and I think, you know, home rule is great, but I also think that, that the state of Indiana has the tools and has the expertise and the manpower and, and, and everything that goes into crises that, I, that it, I, I believe that the administration, the Hulk administration, could have been more, it takes a lot of finesse from a large county to a small county population-wise, but, but that small county who might not have the expertise in, the health, in their health department probably needed a lot more help than was given. And so this is kind of a mixed message. I've always been for home rule. But I, I also believe that state government should have been more hands-on uh, with the pandemic. And that's one of the lessons I think we learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So should you mentioned at the beginning of our podcast that, that there's a possibility we might see your name on the ticket for governor of Indiana mm-hmm. for 2024. If that does happen, what's your vision for the state of Indiana? My vision for the state of Indiana is obviously we've done a good we've done a good job of balancing our budget, but what I want to suggest to the state of Indiana is the Hoosier heart. I want to work on poverty issues. I want to work on mental health issues. I want to work on hunger issues. Those issues are eroding the foundation of what we all call Indiana, and I, I think. It takes a hands-on leader to work on those issues and to make sure that each and every Hoosier doesn't go hungry at night, that each and every Hoosier has a grocery store within a distance of their home and maybe something being delivered to their home. I think that the merit administration would, would um, uh, I, I, I think Mitch Daniels said it right, leaders have to take risks. When he spoke on his uh his commencement speech. It was very, very good. And I think we need to test ourselves. We need to stress ourselves. We need to stretch out and work on issues that we're not working on today. Mm -hmm. Um, Just want to tease out a little bit of that, thinking about poverty and homelessness and food insecurity. 
What are your thoughts on the Indiana Reserve, the Army Reserve? Because they're mostly living in rural Indiana. They are, and they're kind of forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I think the use of the National Guard in the last 14 or 15 months could have been really, really helpful. And it goes back to the who's your heart. Every Saturday I work at a place called Lord's Pantry at Anna's house, and we have people come through there on a weekly basis to pick up groceries And I don't think any of them have ever asked, why are you in the situation you're in? And how can we, you know, uh, help you to get out of the the rut that you're in? Rather than coming every week to get groceries, how can we make your life better? Mm -hmm. You know, I've asked myself those exact same questions. With both of my girls being in Girl Scouts, we did a program about food insecurity. We happen to live in Hendricks County, which is a fairly rich county in the state of Indiana, but we still have about 25% of our student population in the Avon schools that have food insecurity. And there are special programs available to the community for those that have kids in that community. But it's like we're, we're putting a Band-Aid on it with a food pantry. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful of food pantries. They're doing awesome work. Mm-hmm. But that was my question of the food pantry we worked with was, okay, so do you bring insurance navigators in to make sure everyone has insurance? Do you work with the local workforce one Do we have office? the wraparound services? Absolutely. I, I represented uh, a lot of the northeastern part of Marion County and southeastern part of Hamlin County. And the township trustee of North Geist, Fall Creek Township, is busy 24-7. And when you hear, hear the word or, the, or the, the term Geist, you think of wealth. But if you, if you travel around the Geist area in some places, you see window coverings but no furniture. And so there's a hidden poverty out there that we need to reach out and, and redouble our efforts to ask the questions And there was a gentleman that came through Anna's house the other day, and people drive through. They used to walk through, but now they drive through. And he had a flashlight for a headlight. And that tells you that there is an incredible poverty out there. And I've been in some of the houses in Hawville where they have dirt floors. And this is not how America, this is not how Indiana, and it takes somebody to get in and, and roll your sleeves up and, and get into the, um, the grassroots of the problems. And, and there, there are solutions in there. There is a pony in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we need to focus. Absolutely. We need to focus on the problems. I would agree. We are getting close to the end of our time for today. But I do want to touch on the bioscience industry. And there's a lot of things going on at Purdue. You mentioned Mitch, Mitch Daniels mm-hmm. and his commencement speech. Um, Are you aware of any of those programs at Purdue in the bioscience industry? Bioscience is incredible when you talk about it. One of my podcasts that I just released was Falling Waters Farms, and they grow 250,000 tilapia a year, and they take the water from the tilapia tanks to water a non-THC hemp next door. And that hemp is an emerging economy in the state of Indiana. And you talk about bioplastics. And, and industrial use of the fiber of hemp. And, and we all know that's the cannabis plant and every part of the cannabis plant can be used. We're talking about an economy that has really been pushed down because several years ago, and I voted for it as well, where we made it illegal to smoke hemp, even the non-THC, is because it's so confusing between marijuana and hemp. 
But I have a friend that owns a company up in Elkhart, Indiana, and he could use fifty to 60,000 bushels of hemp a day. And they buy jute from South America, which is a fibrous product. And these are just little stories that we're going after. And bioscience is just an incredible part of the state of Indiana. And we've got all sorts of commissions and, and important, smart people working on those issues. And I'm just glad that Mitch is still the president of Purdue because quite a leader for that industry. Yes, he is. Well, I want to thank our listeners for listening today. And Jim, we ask you any of the things that you've brought up today. Um, yes, and my podcast is Jim Merritt's Indiana. I have a Facebook page for that. I have a personal Facebook page, Jim Merritt, and I'm at Jim underline Merritt on Twitter. And I'm on Instagram and send me a message. And I have an upcoming podcast on nuclear power and it'll be on all the, um, uh, it'll be a, a audio and a video uh, podcast and it'll be on um, all the different sites. Very good. Very good. So we will include some references to all of our discussion topics today and where to get more information. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast and to our editor, Caroline Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the program director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.